I'm Josh Alvarez, and welcome to episode 43 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks. Uh, today we have a guest, Mr. Brian Hexter, with us. Hey, Brian. Hello. So do you prefer to be called Hexter or Brian? I actually prefer Hexter, but really? I've been okay with the fact that you call me Brian. Wow. It's Wait, just special. me or other people? You're one of the few. You, my mom, and my dad, and maybe that's about it. Hexter. Oh, no, no, no. Ryan Gratz occasionally does when he's in party mode. Hexter, the, Man. in fact... Hexter, the only reason I, I I remember your name is Brian is uh, with much effort, and it's it's <laughs> similar to uh, Brian uh, Yin Yan Yan yeah. Yin. So I've always known you as Hexter. I'm okay with that. Yeah. So I mean, teachers in high school, right? It, it, Hexter has been my name essentially since first or second grade. Teachers in high school have called you Hexter. Yeah. Wow. Teachers would ge- get corrected by kids in school, and they'd be like, going down the roll, and be like, is uh, Brian here? And they'd be like, it's Hexter. <laughs> that, would, that would be the thing. So kids would correct teachers for me. Do you, do you, and, and then just for the Cinepunks listening audience, do you know the secret connection between uh, Brian Hexter's uh, high school experience and myself? No. What are you talking about? I judged a Battle of the Bands two times at his alma mater. Oh, really? Yeah, because Dave Adolph, one of my best friends uh, since 7th yeah, grade, yeah, is yeah. a teacher at Methacton High, right? That's where you went. He, yeah, yeah. And um, he, he does the Battle of Bands annually, and uh, as his bandmate, I get to judge them sometimes. That's pretty great. It's pretty funny. That's really great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good time. So, you know. So, uh, welcome, Hexter, to the show. Thank you. For our listening audience, if you are a Philadelphian, you and you go to any shows, basically. Right. You probably know Hexter as the ginger who works for R5. Often with How a do you serious. Feel about the beard. word ginger is ginger okay with you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's become okay. How long have you worked for R five in some capacity? Oh, uh, jeez. Um, eight years, nine years. Good lord, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And you've been at on and off at Union Transfer since it opened. I feel like. Yeah. Uh, so I worked the first show, which was Clap Your Hands, Say Yeah, and Polisa. Oh, wow. Uh, so I love that you know that, by the way. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, we used to keep track of like all the shows we worked. Uh, Joe Furry, the former box office manager, who now sure. is at the Fillmore and Live Nation. Oh, wow. Uh, he Sell used up. to... <laughs> yes. <laughs> but we love him. I do. I actually do love him a lot, but I, I, I will talk shit to his face all the time. Yeah, because it's funny. Yeah, it's, re- it's really funny. He used to do this secret thing, and it wasn't until like a, a little while into it that I found this out, but he, underneath the desk at the box office, would keep like tick marks of all the shows he worked. Uh, wow. And then like, I, kind of like a prison count or something. Almost, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So, um, so I kept up that tradition after he left and I took over. But we would like keep track of all the shows we worked. So we also have like a weird memory of, oh, I worked this show. It wasn't like we took a tick mark and then wrote what show it was, but... We have like a just weird by, just by the nature of the tick mark, you're like, ah, yes, I recall yeah. that show quite well. Yeah. It's like looking at the matrix at all the numbers yeah. scrolling down the screen. 
Some of them are ticked in blood. Some of them. But here's here's the thing: we don't know you from. Well, I mean, I know you from Film Society. Is that where we first met? I think it is. Yeah. Because I don't think. I, oh, I know him. The reason I said hi to him at the Film Society is because I knew him from shows. Right. I, I feel like not. that's where we first met. Was at shows, right? Yeah. 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 I was often chatting you up because I wanted to make sure everyone knew I had a lifetime pass and no one was going <laughs> to harass me to get in. So I'm like, all right, guy, you know me? We're friends? All right, good. Oh, yeah. So I have a lifetime pass that Sean Agnew was too lazy to actually make? Yeah. That's- yeah, no. If, if Sean ever listens to this show, I want him to know. <laughs> everyone knows you just never made it. No, the, the funny joke that I have started making people say at the Union Transfer box office if they show up, I, I know most people that have lifetime passes at this point, but um, people say, hey, I have a lifetime pass, and I go, oh, where is it? And most of them are like, Sean Agnew's a lazy fucking asshole, and he didn't give me a lot of lifetime pass. And that's your entry into the show. That's how you get a free ticket. That's, well, but, it shows but, that you it shows However, that you know. just because I advertise that, it's never going to work again. <laughs> I know. Why did you just say that? Uh, it's okay. We have a listenership of dozens, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally dozens. <laughs> yeah. It's a good time. <laughs> so, Justin Harlan, if you're listening, don't ever say that. Yeah, seriously, Harlan. Uh, okay, so people know probably know you from R5. They may not know that we know you from the Film Society and that right. you are a movie-like, I would say, aficionado. aficionado right? uh, I maybe wouldn't not, go that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say expert. You, no. are, you are at the interest level of us, but you care about movies in a way that... You know, mouth-breathing mutants don't. Talk a little bit about, like, how did that start for you? Why are you interested in film at a level where you're willing to join an organization that we all now find abhorrent? Yeah. (laughs) So it started in high school. My, at Methacton High School, where Mr. Adolph now teaches. Mr. Adolph. So he wasn't a teacher while I was there. I think it was uh, two or three years out after graduation that he started. But uh, Mr. Rice, my 11th grade English teacher, uh, in my senior year started an intro to film course. And I had basic interest in film at that point. But uh, it was like a a journey through film. We we watched westerns, horrors drama, comedy, etc., and talked about why each is important and things like that. And it got me to appreciate film even more. And then I went to Westchester University as my undergrad, and um, uh, we were with uh, the gen ed courses, you know, taking electives, and I took another intro to film course, and kind of same thing. Yeah. It's like a survey of film. Sure. And that piqued my interest even more, uh, and I realize that, oh, this is something that I can study, uh, looking at like course catalogs. So you've actually taken college classes in film and all that stuff. Yeah, wow. so my minor, so my, my major at Westchester was English education, but then I, not, not necessarily because of the minor, my minor was film criticism, but I ended up going to Westchester for five years, and partly because of picking up that minor. Wow. So I wouldn't have finished in time with student teaching and all of my education courses and the film courses. So I decided to, for a couple semesters, go with, uh, you know, extra things in my schedule so I could fit in that minor as well. Have, right? you, have you been able to work the film aspect into your teaching practice? Actually, yes. So uh, since mid-year last year, the second semester on, I've been teaching a documentary film course at the school. Uh, my principal at the time asked me if I was interested in teaching any elective courses and I said well I have a minor in film and I've always wanted to teach film at a school right. and he said perfect um, let's see if we can work anything out and he seemed to think that documentary film had the most educational value in the school 
So I jumped on board with Arguable, it. but go on. I know. <laughs> so so I, I didn't come up with the idea for the course. I just told him I'd be interested in that or journalism. Sure. Uh, so that's what he chose for me. He said, let's do documentary film. And ever since then, I've uh, kind of went with it. That's awesome. But you're, a, uh, you're an English teacher normally, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I teach uh, four sections of English and one section of documentary film. That's cool. Oddly enough, you do not have the distinction of being the first English teacher on our show. <laughs> that belongs to Mr. Dan Fraga. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. And, and he, he talked about working film into his teaching yeah, as he's well. Yeah, been, he's been using a part of his curriculum, but for the English class. So it's not a separate, as far as I recall. I feel like, I feel like on my list of things I would love to do, but I don't actually know how to do them, is to create uh, an alternative education center for high schoolers in which film would be one aspect of it as well as like more hands-on art a few like skills like yeah you know you know almost like a combination of a critical thinking sort of engagement with art with hands-on put a can because there's there's actually already a few programs that they'll put a camera in a kid's hand and say go do it but it's it's harder to find places where a kid can sit and watch movies or read something and talk about it like their response to it you know what i mean like that's actually. Have you ever done reviews like for any outlets at all, or have you done like? I have not. He's uh, on my mailing list for Cinepunks, but he's never written anything. <laughs> That's okay. Neither have I. If that makes you feel any better. <laughs> Josh doesn't even know how to log into the website. I don't. I don't. It's bad. <laughs> I have a single speed bike because I don't know how to use gears. Oh, oh I'm there with you. I have a I have a multi speed bike, and I don't know how to use gears. I just leave it at the one gear. I've got a single speed bike because I love to coast. Ah, uh, oh there yeah. You go. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. All right. Um, but anyway. Yeah, sorry. we should probably get started. Yeah. Let's, as, let's get as into As you know, it. we're going to do whacking on Track. Well, here's the thing. You so, want to... We're switching it entirely to the year-end thing? Yeah, might as well. Last year, we did an actual episode with a friend of the podcast, Evo, actual yeah. Cinepunk member. True. And uh, we did we devoted an entire episode to our lists. But we didn't do that this year because mm-hmm. I don't I didn't keep track of everything that I saw. I, I You're kept, on Letterboxd, right? Did so I. I kept immaculate track, but I still... I don't think that it was a bad episode, but I honestly like. I feel like printing something that someone can look at is yeah. more interesting than us than us prattling on about stuff that we've well, talked about all year. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you want to know more of our thoughts, most of these movies we've talked about. You know, right. um, although I will say, like, the letterbox thing actually gives me anxiety. So, like, why does it give you anxiety? Because I go back through and I read the stars that I gave to movies, movies, and, and I'm like, that's too low. So, for example. Oh, I just had it in front of me, and I already forgot what what it's called. There's uh, the movie, the uncomfortable. Uh, hold on, I'm gonna look it up real quick. It's an indie movie. It has the guy from True Blood in it. It has a really strong uh, performance by a female actress, actor, I should say. It's called. There it is. The Diary of a Teenage Girl. Right. I gave that four stars, and I think because at the time some of the ambiguous emotional aspects of it made me uncomfortable, but I still really liked the film. Right. Looking back now, I'm thinking, I think that was one of the better films I saw this year. So, so then you, I, Can I look, you alter it afterwards? Can you go back? Oh, sure, you can. But I, I don't know if it's... I think, for me, it's more like, wait, I rated... I'm not trying to talk shit here, but I'm just saying, I rated The Force Awakens the same as Die of a Teenage Girl. <laughs> Mm, do I still feel that way? Or was that just, you know, my reactions, which is like The Force Awakens, regardless of whether it was a great movie or not, filled me with joy. So I gave it four stars. Right. 
Whereas Diary of a Teenage Girl made me feel ambiguous, so I didn't give it the full five stars. I gave it four stars. And now I'm looking back like, uh, Diary of a Teenage Girl is actually a four and a half star movie. Wow. Force Awakens might be more of a three and a half star movie. But do you think retrospective starring is a good thing? I know. No, it's just now the that I... The gut reaction is way more interesting but to now me. I, I agree. But now I have to commit to a list that says, these were my favorite films of 2015. So the plus of Letterboxd is without Letterboxd, I'd have no idea what I watched in 2015. I forget. Right, yeah. This is what happened last year. I just couldn't remember what I watched. <laughs> so what is Letterboxd? I'm kind of in the dark here. Oh, it's great. It's a... Uh, I, I feel it, it's sort of like a, someone smashed together IMDb and Facebook oh. in the sense of like... It's just a way to keep track of your movies, but you can see your friends' ratings, and you can comment on their ratings of the movies. So you can write reviews, you can create lists, you can share those lists with other people. So, like, uh, people who are obsessed with Exhumed have made lists of every Exhumed marathon, so you can go and see what they've oh, shown. Oh, wow. People make lists that are, like, my favorite Westerns, my favorite this. So you can or, cater the list. It's not just what you saw. Oh, yeah. The, the, what you saw is actually you have to try. There's a thing called Diary. Uh-huh. And that's how you keep track of what you saw. You could, whereas you can go, you can pick any movie and say, oh, I give this five stars. And right. then it's not in a list. Whereas I use the diary, so I remember I watched this on this day, I watched this on this day, I watched yeah. this on this day. And it gives me a list for the year. I, I saw 300 movies. No, 290 movies Good last work, year, man. something like that. Good work. Anyways, let's, let's jump into it, though. So okay. these, what we're doing right now is our highlights of 2015 highlights where this is not necessarily our favorites we're not going to do a top 10 list but there's just we figured since we're doing whacking on track we might as well mention now if you have a particularly whack thing you want to mention from 2015 feel free to do that too right but this is more like your highlight with things you liked musically and movie wise musically movie wise shows whatever tv shows concerts whatever you want so go ahead brian would you like to set us off or do you need us to start because you're not ready? I, I think I need you guys Josh, to Josh, go ahead. All right. So you can read our lists on the website eventually. Yeah, we're going right? to put up. It's going up this week. And uh, I had a couple on there. I had um, There was a short called The Man Who Married Kittens that I saw during one of the Vivisections um, yeah. screenings. It was about uh, this taxidermist from England. And uh, he just took all these dead animals and put them into cute scenarios. <laughs> it's adorable. Um, so that was on my list. One, one, one movie that I didn't mention on my list that, that bums me out, which I'm going to correct right now, is the movie Turbo Kid. I saw Turbo Kid this year, and that was one of my favorite movies of the year. Michael Ironsides is in it, right? Isn't that, that's him, right? Yep. It's, dude, it's, have you seen Turbo Kid at all? I have not. Oh, my dear word. It's like a retro horror movie without the camp of Kung Fury. Like, it's post-apocalyptic. It's funny. It's charming. It's, um, it was one of the better movies. We saw it thanks to Mr. Josh Goldblum part of the Awesome Fest, and it was uh, screened in the park, added to the awesomeness of the experience. We saw it on my birthday, right? We saw it on Liam's birthday, and Liam did get a shout-out. Yeah. I got a shout-out. It was Holla. sick. He got a shout-out on this loudspeaker. What? Because <laughs> he's famous. Josh is great. Josh Goldblum <laughs> is a hero. So, yeah. So, Turbo Kid, that's on my list. Um, as far as music goes, uh, again, dude, the Gloss Demo is probably my favorite thing that I've heard all year. I love that record. And then there's another band that the guitar player from that band is in called Slouch. And they put out a record called uh, The Toxic Bitch EP that's also really, really fun. Okay. And, uh, and a really good time. So those are on my list, but those are the two that I liked a whole lot this year that I listened to a lot. Sure, sure. So, you know, you- and of course the Beach Slang record. You know, the Radioactivity record. Sure. The Warriors record. Those are like my top three of the year that I was like super hyped on. Every time you say that, I have to remind myself you're saying Warriors and not Warriors. No, 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 no. Different band. Different band. So, you know. The Warriors. The Warriors, yes. It's called uh, Imaginary Life was the name of their record. I thought it was really, really good. 
I love that band. Do you like that band at all? Warriors? Yeah. I don't know them. It, it's uh, Lauren from um, The Measure SA, that band, that, um, the New Brunswick band. Don't know. Ah, well, you know, they're part of the, they're big in the, uh, like, the No Idea Fest scene, like, that kind of band. And uh, Warriors is just a trans, like, the, the next level of that kind of songwriting. It's a good time. But, um, yeah, th- so that was, my, that was my favorite stuff from 2015. So, there you go. Are you ready, Hexter? Do you need me What to about go? the wax stuff, though? The wax stuff? Was there anything, just one thing, for time's sake, that one you hated with a passion in 2015? That I hated with a Let's passion. Let's focus on a film. Is there um, a film you saw in the theaters that you just thought was a total piece of trash? I can't. I, you know what? Here's the thing. I'm a happy individual. You want to know why? Because I don't remember the shit that bums me out. I like that. I actually like that a lot. <laughs> so I can't even think of... Well, I mean, I'm sure it happened because I'm a very angry dude at times. I can't, <laughs> think, I can't think of anything that filled me with such ire that I'll mention it now because I hated it so much in 2015. Okay. The okay. one thing I hated the most about 2015 in regards to film is the backlash to Star Wars The Force Awakens. That really bummed you out. I'm yeah, kind of really over makes it. Me upset. I'm, I'm yeah. kind of over it myself as far as like when we first saw it and everyone was shit talking, I got real bummed out. Yeah. Then I started seeing shit talking with people who actually fucking saw the movie. Yeah. And there were a couple points where I'm like, no, you're right. <laughs> no, no, that's right. No, you're right. But again, I don't care. Is the thing. I still live in a world where. Uh, Miami Connection is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yes. So clearly, I'm not a stickler for uh, uh, certain kinds of details in my movie. So I'm not too worried about that. Hexter, are you ready to go? Do you Not 100%. <laughs> all right, I'll go. <laughs> I haven't finished putting together my top 10 list, so I was just trying to think really? of what movies. No, well, especially with music. Mm. Movies will be easier for me, as we've discussed, with Letterboxd. I can just look at Letterboxd, see what I rated stuff, try to figure it out. But even that's hard because, again, like I said, I question my ratings a little bit. Right. But with music, I don't keep up with new music very often. You keep I'm sort up of, with way more new music than anyone else I know. I don't think that's true. Oh, I think I I'm really How bad. many people here have a working knowledge of the music of Jesus Peace? Just you, my friend. <laughs> Me and Brian don't know anything about that shit. Okay, that's fair. Valid but that's, point. But that's, but this <laughs> is, uh, I mean. Tell me about the ice demo. No. I don't know shit about it. Oh, the ice demo is really good. Exactly so, okay, my point. Let me get to what I'm trying to say here, Josh. You're fucking my shit up. <laughs> Here's the deal I don't feel like I have like a broad knowledge, so I have trouble doing It's a sort of like with my end of film list. My end of film list for 2015 doesn't end in 2015 because I haven't seen all the 2015 movies. So, like, <laughs> even after the year, I had to see Phoenix, I had to see Carol, I had to see all these movies for me to feel comfortable even creating a 2015 list. That's all the preliminary. So the right. things that stick out to me, like, I've noticed that when people ask me, well, what did you like? Mm. There's certain movies that really jump out in my brain that, that even if... I didn't rate them this way. They're the movies that stuck in my craw. Right. One of them is Diary of a Teenage Girl. And I don't think the whole movie is amazing. Like, I still wouldn't put it as a five-star movie. Mm-hmm. But the performance of the young lady in that movie is so amazing. It's so just intense that it sold it for Like, it's still, I still think about it. So clearly that's one. Another one is Sicario. I still haven't seen Sicario. What, it, Sicario? I know Johan Johansson did the soundtrack to that, and that's the one thing that... I mean, I love Johan Johansson, so... It's, it's not the one thing, because the whole movie is great. Like, yeah. here's, here's the thing about Sicario. It's not the kind of movie I usually like. Like, gritty movie about the drug war. I'm like, sounds kind of boring. <laughs> but, but something about it, I, I was wrapped up the whole time. It's very tense. It's very... 
uh, I hate using the word, I say gritty too much. I don't know what else. There's, it's unapologetic without being, it doesn't fall over into exploitation, which is nothing against exploitation. It's just, it's more just a very sort of like uh, intense and unapologetic view of what probably is happening in the drug war. I think you mean gritty. I fucking hate you. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just, it was a movie I went to because other people kept saying how great it was. And I went in kind of like, there's no way this is as good as people have said. And I really right. loved it. I really loved it. Um, I did, as I said, made an effort to see Phoenix. Yeah. OB said he liked it. Not only do I love it, I think it has. Oh, the, you love it? Not only do I love it, it might be in my top five. Like, Holy I'm putting shit. it way up there. Yeah. It, it also has, like, my favorite ending of the year. And I can't say anything about the movie to give away what the ending is. But. The final sequence of the movie is my favorite ending Wow, of the year, which That's might heavy. make it my favorite movie of the year. I don't know. And then, of course, obvious things. Like, I love Mad Max. Yeah, I, Mad I talked, Max is I talked, amazing. I talked extensively on the show about Dope. I really liked Dope. I thought it was really well done. Um, and uh, there's a few things I've been able to catch recently that I want to highlight, even though I don't know how much they would be on my... Like, they're probably in my top 20, but I don't know what... But they didn't get that much attention. Like, that movie, The Mend... Did not see the men. It's on Netflix. I don't think anyone saw it in theaters. Uh, it's on Netflix. It hasn't gotten that much attention. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. I think it's really, really great. Um, I really like the lobster. I managed to see that. That. Was oh really yeah, that good. absurdist one we talked about last yeah, episode. Yeah. 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 Um, another thing. So here's the thing. I think it was officially a 2014 release, but it wasn't really in theaters till 2015. Is a movie called Two Days One Night. Never heard of it. Oh man, I can't. It's on Netflix, and I can't recommend it enough. If you can see Two Days, One Night. Well, so it's a movie in which a woman works at a small company, and the company basically is like, look, we need to cut corners. So either we can let go this one. I did hear about that. Or if you can fire somebody or everybody can give part of their working bonus. Well, basically, they they won't get their bonus. You'll get your bonuses this year if we fire her. If we don't fire her, no one gets their bonus. And then they all get to vote. And it's basically a way for the boss to abdicate uh, responsibility for the decision. I mean, that's how it feels to me. Is And something about that small situation of her going and basically begging her fellow workers to right. not let them fire her is so emblematic of capitalism. It's so emblematic of, uh, you know, poor people begging other poor people to be nice to them so that they don't eat the raw end of the stick. Meanwhile, no one is responsible. Even the worst people in the movie, like the, the, real, the people who are real assholes to her about it, some part of me is like, well, they just want their money. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's money that was like, oh, to the, you know what I mean? It's not like they want money that's not theirs. They, they're basically saying, why should I give up something that I need for you? Yeah. And of course, they shouldn't have to, but it's not their decision. You know, so... That something about that really gets under my skin. So when I was looking through my old things, that that stood out to me. As far as musically, I mean, I can say the things, the obvious things. I've listened to no release this year more than Kendrick Lamar to Pippa Butterfly, and the Algiers. Uh, I think it's self-titled, right? The new Algiers. I think album. so. Yeah. Yeah. Those two records of any 2015 release, I've listened to more than anything else. Really? And then the rest of hardcore for me, like those are not obviously hardcore releases. Then my relationship to hardcore was mostly demos, like the gloss demo, yeah. the ice demo, the firewalker demo. Um, I like seeing them live, but I didn't really love the Jesus Peace demo. But it's just funny because you brought that up. <laughs> no, no offense to them; they're great dudes. But um, <laughs> they it's, don't not, it's not it's really my, they don't listen to this podcast. It's fine. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I guess as far as like full releases I really like the f- new Forced Order record I thought that was pretty good mm-hmm. I really like the uh, Discourse record but I hear they're breaking up so that's a bummer 
And then as far as like other kinds of music, I didn't, I, I, I was surprised by the, the world is a beautiful place. Uh, I'm not afraid to die. Yeah. The new record. I thought it was pretty good, but that was not like a ama- What was amazing about that is that I thought it was pretty good because I hated all their <laughs> other stuff. So whatever. Um, all that to say. So as a person who hated all their other stuff, you're saying I should possibly check that out. Yeah, I'm not endorsing it like, oh, and you'll definitely love it. I just thought it was significantly better. And I had to hear it at work because they were listening to it at work. And then I, it sunk into my brain a little bit more. And then I listened to it more and I'm like, actually, this is pretty good. Same with uh, Hop Along. Hop Along is a band I've never really been that into, though I like her voice. That was the only appeal was her voice. Yeah. And the latest record, the more I listened to it, it kind of like actually stuck with me a little bit. But... I think the, what's emblematic about that when you say like, oh, you check out lots of new music, it's true, but not necessarily all of it do I love the music, you know? Right. It's, you know, I check out something and I'm like, oh, that's fine. Oh, that's fine. Oh, <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think those are the things I want to highlight. I mean, I'm, there's more records that I thought were pretty good. I definitely sent a list of like 10 things over to Joe as like suggestions for the official, like this is hardcore top 10 or whatever. Right, right, right. But, uh, but for me, like I probably... You know, I listened to a lot of stuff that was new to me in 2015. Like, yeah, uh, that was in 2015 released. Oh, actually, I guess that Vince Staples, the Summertime Double LP. I think that might have been 2015. I listened to that a good deal. Um, I liked the new Willie Mellow Whitmore record. You like that record? I thought it was pretty good. You're the only one I know who who backs that record. I didn't like it as much as the record before it, which is right. my favorite. Willie no, Mello everybody, record, everybody but. who I've spoken to, like that's like the falling off point. Like even Melani, who loves that guy, was like. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> really? I liked it. I liked it. Wow. It's fine. Huh. Whatever. I'm used to it. Oh, I'm, and then I, here it is. I knew there was something. I, this is how it happens. There's always one thing you forget, and then you, when you remember it, you're like, ah, oh, did I fucking forget that? The new Mountain Goats record. Beat right, the Champ. you love that band. I, not only do I love Mountain Goats, but Beat the Champ is a brilliant record, and I listen to it a lot. So um, I think those are my musical, and I will say... Uh, I had a lot of con- since we're in a comic shop. I had a lot of comic highlights this year, and I got obsessed with uh, East of West, Wicked and Divine. Um, I fell back in love with the Hellboy books that I was just reading out of obligation, and now I love them again. I fell back in love with Invincible, which I was reading out of obligation, and now I love it again. Right. So uh, there's one new thing though that I wanted to highlight, and I already forgot it. So there we go. I failed. Oh, Paper Girls. Paper Girls. Yeah, they have it right over there. We're at Amalgam Comics again today. Did we even mention that? No, we didn't mention. Hey, big thank you to Amalgam Comics for hosting us. (laughs) Um, uh, You should come here and spend money on comics. It's the best. And coffee. Yeah, especially since I dropped so much money on comics yesterday, not here. (laughs) I feel kind of bad. But they are the nice. They were so nice when we came in today. They're the best. Awesome. This place is the best. Okay. But yeah, that Paper Girls. I feel like our. Tarantino conversation that happened pre-recording could have been great as part of the show. <laughs> no, I think we messed up. No, 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 no. We it, we didn't mess up because we're going to bring it up just yeah, without. It's going to get lively in a minute. But he's definitely he's definitely welcome to jump in. I just think he's busy right now. So <laughs> that's our that's our man. We oh, can have Randy a, over there. I've got like an Randy. extra ten feet tangled up over here. I can, <laughs> I can try and walk that's over. That's true. That's true. And you have the longest mic cord too. The it's roving true. journalist. <laughs> All right, Hexer, stop avoiding it. What are your highlights from last year? So the reason I've been avoiding it is because I feel like 2015 may have been my worst year as a film viewer. I just found myself super busy between working at the school, working Mm. at venues, and I also started grad school in January. So I was just like... Busy man. Uber, uber busy. Um, But... 
I'm glad that you guys mentioned some things, but uh, it was more music that I was like, oh yeah, that came out. Oh yeah, there was that. So like, sure. beach slang was definitely cool in yeah. music. Uh, hop along was definitely cool in music. One thing that you guys didn't mention was Baroness. Oh, the that new was Baroness record. Is oh, amazing. that record is so good. Yeah, yeah that, I mean that was a late one. Yeah. So definitely a late one in the music world. But yeah, that's a great record. Yeah, uh, I like it better than that yellow and green. Yeah, and I, I haven't listened to it enough, but what I have listened to is great. Yeah. Uh, in film, uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything I hated. Nothing I hated, but I was disappointed by Trainwreck, the Amy Schumer film. Yeah, what did you... Well, I mean, we, we've gone over how it, it wasn't my favorite when I saw it. What, what was your criticism of it? it, it just, like, the, the standouts of the movie were LeBron James and John Cena. They were the best part. Yo, of the jo- movie. John Cena needs to do more comedy. He, he clearly has a talent for it. Yeah, yeah not even kidding. Like he is one hundred percent a talented individual. Well, right. Yeah, I mean, so that's uh, kind of made obvious. Like WWE is acting. Yeah, it's yeah. absolute acting, and but, you're a great actor. But he's tried a, a lot of stuff that hasn't worked. For example, his gangster rap album is not necessarily that's a thing. Yeah, yeah. It, is. A whole yeah. it is. You've listened yeah. to it. I, I mean, I've seen, like, YouTube bits okay. of it. I would but. never have willingly listened to it, but you may not know this, but Chris Reject, my boss at LVAC, uh-huh. is a wrestling fan and has multiple times put that on to fuck with us. Wow. And I, I have listened to multiple songs on it, and it's a real bummer. Wow. <laughs> he likes it, though, so respect to Chris Reject. Likes it or is putting it on to torch you? I think he doesn't really like it. <laughs> well, I think he loves John Cena, so, so yeah, you just have you to go. like it, yeah. So is it... <laughs> <laughs> our, man, our man is celebrating that we mentioned John Cena. <laughs> John Cena makes everyone smile. So is this the, the Macho Man Randy Savage rap album of the 2000s? Oh, wow. <laughs> That's weird. All but, right, go back to your list. <laughs> okay, so, um, but yeah... <clears throat> The, I mean, back to Trainwreck, actually. So sure. Cena did a lot of ad-libbing in that, too. So yeah. Um, yeah. I can't remember the exact joke, but like the, the, like the Mark Wahlberg joke, I think, that happened. Yeah. It was yeah. like, all of that was like I look like Mark Wahlberg ate Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> yes. That's, that's the joke. But that's supposedly pure ad-libbing. <coughs> right. That's, that's great. Yeah. So like finding that out about the film and about him made me respect him as an actor even more. Um, LeBron James, even though he was playing himself, yeah, played a great character. Um, and <laughs> I, I don't know, I just really liked it for them. But I came out of it like kind of the same way I feel about her show. Like, right, lots of hits and lots of misses. So it's either really great or really awful. And it, like, I don't know, I just came out of it like, all right, I'm kind of glad I saw it, but. It, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I, I So I went into it with low expectations because you disliked it so much. Yeah. And I found it better than I thought it was going to be. Like, parts of it were laugh out loud, just, like, really fucking funny to me. Mm-hmm. But overall, the actual story, like, the part that I'm supposed to care about, the emotional core of the movie, I don't give a fuck about any of that. Same. <laughs> it didn't Absolutely connect in any way. So it was literally like, let's write a bunch of really good jokes. But I guess we need a story to hang those jokes on. So we'll just put together like a completely unengaging story for me. And again, maybe that's just me. Um, and then I, I don't. I, I get that people are being edgy, but I just don't laugh at race humor. I don't. And there was only a little bit in the movie. It's like a small bit, but it was like, oh, that's not funny. I, I don't know. I just don't know what it is. But just I, I wouldn't. Well, I wasn't the, offended. The one, I just didn't line. care. With uh, Craig Robinson in uh, Zach and Mary make a porno. No. Craig Robinson is a barista at a coffee shop, and he's talking to Seth Rogen. 
And some dude in line behind him, a white guy, goes, I'll have a coffee. Black. And then Craig Robinson goes, can't you see I'm talking? White. <laughs> okay. See, now that's the funny. funniest race joke I've ever heard in my entire life. I, yeah. guess, I guess what it boils down to is uh, Craig Robinson saying something to a white dude is different than Amy Schumer making a joke about black dudes' dicks. Those are two different things. It's all content. So. And that's, that's my issue. <laughs> But again, like I, I didn't think it was terrible. I didn't think Trainwreck sucked, but it was like, right. I don't know. I don't right. know. All right. Anything so, else you want to highlight? Keep going. Uh, so, I mean, kind of goes without saying, but Mad Max was great. Uh, I love the yeah. like twenty-five minute adrenaline ride that you're on for the first little bit of <laughs> yeah. the movie. Yep. And uh, I just remember looking. I went with uh, my friend Jackson, and I remember looking at him after that was done, and we both kind of gave each other like an excited yeah. nod, and then went right back to the screen. <laughs> um, so that was great. Um, during my winter break, uh, I went on a film watching spree. I saw Spotlight, Star Wars, and uh, Hateful Eight. I thought all three were great. Uh, Spotlight. I hate the title. Yeah. You don't know what it's about. If you don't know like, <laughs> your spotlight, yeah. yeah, about the whole Boston Globe thing, but um, besides Mark Ruffalo's like terrible attempt or shtick at a weird accent, have either of you guys seen? No, spotlight I haven't yet? seen Spotlight. Yet. Oh, it's on I my list. love Spotlight. It's, it's on my list. It's definitely in my top ten of the year. It's really, really, really good. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out what Ruffalo was trying to do. He didn't. You didn't like his accent? I kind of liked it. <laughs> I don't even know if I, you can call it an accent. I just think it was like he kept doing this. Yeah, he, he was. <laughs> yeah, he, he had some of you listening. On, to I realized we're on a podcast and no one could see my face. So I, he was I making sound. faces. Yeah. Well, that's what I, yeah, he definitely was doing something weird with his mouth. Definitely like, like weird facial expressions. That was a good catch. Just keep For going. For those of you listening, <laughs> just keep going. Don't even acknowledge it happened. Kidding. Um, but yeah, like I, I was annoyed probably for the first 20 minutes of the film because of what he was doing and I was too focused on that. Carl, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Carl, what do you mean? No idea but, what you're talking about. It's so it, funny. It, so this is the thing about that. I get what you're saying but I, I bought it. I was just like, Mark Ruffalo it's like really owning this weird thing that he's doing. He's not <laughs> oh, apologizing. No, he went with it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I assumed it was based off, based off a guy. Like, I, like watching it and knowing a little bit about Mark Ruffalo I just thought this is a real dude. Mark Ruffalo has met this real dude. This real dude's a fucking weirdo. And now he's doing his impression of this guy. Okay. And you either get it or you don't. That's what I'm assuming. What would be great if is if that's not true. That Mark Ruffalo just, made that just read a script and said, I'm going to do this weird thing where I tilt my face funny and I talk <laughs> like i just been hit in the face and I'm having trouble thinking about what I'm going to say. Like everything he says is really smart. But as he's saying it, he kind of looks like, you're spraying me in the face with water while I'm saying this. <laughs> I think I'd prefer the latter of the scenarios. Yeah. <laughs> he just made it. He's just yeah. like, this is going to be good. I'm going uh, to win an award. And Stanley Tucci, I thought, was great. Amazing. Yeah. I love and Stanley Tucci, too, though. Mm-hmm. So, I like him pretty much everything I've seen him in. Yeah. And it was such a star-studded cast, too, that like every time a new person comes in, you're like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because uh, Liv Shriver's in it. Yeah. Um, of course, Michael Keaton is yeah. in it. But, yeah, it's just like pretty great watching it. And it's... It's, it's definitely one of those Liv Shriver moments where you are watching it and then you got to go, oh, yeah, this asshole was Sabretooth in a movie. Like, can you believe that? Like, how is that even a thing that happened in the world? <laughs> but it's true. Like, he's, a ba- he's an amazing actor who was talked into doing one of the dumbest things I've ever seen on <laughs> screen ever. 
Yeah, that was bad. <laughs> but he's, and the remake he was, of The Omen, pretty shitty. Just oh, saying. Oh, God damn it, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I thought, I, I agree, Spotlight was really... And I, I have issues with, like, uh, large cast historical drama. You know, it's like... Did you see The Big Short yet? I did not, and I really want to see it. Maybe yeah, I saw should. it. It was awesome. Same yeah? thing. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, man. Adam McKay directed it. I get the feeling Spotlight's better than The Big Short. It probably I is. Need, I need to see is. it before I say that, but... <laughs> Well, anything else, my sir? I don't think uh, nothing else notable that I okay. really saw. Nothing like jumps out at me, and I'm really excited that I ended the year on those three. Yeah, that's a good that's a good sort of end note there. All right, great. Well, that is our uh, end of year whacking on track. Uh, <laughs> please stick with us as we come back. We're going to be discussing the hateful eight, the hateful eight, and the did we all see it in seventy millimeter? You saw it in 70 millimeters? You oh, got the I did. book. He has the book. Yeah, we all saw it in 70 millimeters. So we're going to be discussing that. And then the larger Tarantino Ovoir. Right. I just made that. Is that right? That's a good That's word. Right. That's right. That's a good word. Oh, That's man. English teacher. I'm so fucking good at this. All right. Welcome back. All right. Welcome back. We're here with uh, R5 Lieutenant and uh, <laughs> local film nerdario, uh, Hexter. All right. Before we start our, our Tarantino discussion, <coughs> excuse me, I'd like to tell a little story, which you may or may not have heard. Oh, yeah. wow. Here we go. So do you guys remember a couple years ago when Tarantino gifted the entire cut of Kill Bill to Philadelphia? Yeah. Yeah. So 
we heard about this. Me and Melani got tickets. We're pretty hyped, right? Me and, uh, again, friend of the podcast, Evo, Tomas, we're like, holy shit, I heard that Tarantino doesn't allow this movie to be screened without him being here. What if Quentin Tarantino is going to be in Philadelphia at the I-House when they screen this? So we got really excited. I had this plan. Get a Kill Bill tattoo. When I meet Quentin Tarantino, okay. show it to him. Be like, check it out. And then he'll become my friend. And then I don't know what happens after you become friends with Quentin Tarantino. Something awesome, probably. Or nothing. Or nothing at all. I don't know. So I got the tattoo. I got a Hattori Hanzo blade going through the head of a rat. From my friend Troy Souders at Chinatown Eddie's, who does all my tattoos and just did my Black Train Jack tattoo. Wait, let's back this up. So you, you got a tattoo with the hope that Quentin Tarantino was going to come to Philadelphia for a screening of Kill Bill. I kind of feel like that's what I just said. And then you had to say that again. Because... Because you like talking. Because it's amazing. <laughs> because I am so flabbergasted that this is the case. I but don't go believe ahead. that you're flabbergasted because you've known me so well for so many years. <laughs> so anyway. So I get this tattoo of sure. Atari Hanzo sword going through a rat's head by Troy Souders at Chinatown Eddie's, who is the best tattooer in the world. Time of the screening comes and I get pneumonia. Don't go to the show and Tarantino's not there at all anyway. So I just end up with Oh, a, I forgot that <laughs> yeah. you didn't go. Here's even funnier. We sold the ticket to some dude who wanted it because he didn't get a ticket. And he got it. For, we, we drove to the IHouse day of the show. And he got it from us from the car. And he was wearing a kilt. Now, let's think about this for a moment. <laughs> He's wearing a kilt <laughs> to watch a four-hour Kill Bill movie. Yeah. Yeah, that happened. That's crazy. It was like the, I, I don't know if it was the drugs from the pneumonia. <laughs> Maybe he wasn't wearing a kilt and I was just hallucinating that. But I do Maybe know that. Maybe it was just a really long flannel button down. No. It, ha- it was a utility kilt with like, oh. with like cargo pockets. Yeah. A yeah, yeah, utility yeah. kilt. Mm-hmm. I've like never the- heard of such a thing. But that- oh, I, I have. Oh, go to a Dropkick Murphy show now. You'll see a couple. Utility kilts. <laughs> utility kilts. I definitely one time uh, was outside Reanimator and a gentleman pulled up, got out of his uh, sport Volvo hatchback john in a utility kilt and then took out his multiple devil stick sets and uh this ring with little things on it that i knew had once held fire and i was like oh someone just got back from their carnival of freaks like (laughs) what the fuck that's amazing all right so So yeah so uh, that's how i'd like to start this tarantino discussion with my my kill bill tattoo so we wanted to have (laughs) hexter on for a while and as soon as i said like oh we should do that he hexter was like we got to talk about the hateful eight and i thought that was good because we were all planning to try to see it um me and josh were actually thinking of trying to see it again but i don't know if it's gonna happen another another viewing i i I had can the three of us go yeah Yeah? well but you didn't tell him about the whole we'll get into this later oh okay it's a whole plan um but the the point being that uh, I thought it was important to talk about, especially now, since we agreed to do this, I've seen more and more people talking about the film. And the response from folks tends to be either super stoked or middle of the road. It's good, but it's not that good of a Tarantino movie. Okay. Or people who utterly fucking hate it. Like, I've seen more... You know, Tarantino rubs people the wrong way. But I've actually seen more vitriol for this movie even than the last well, where movie. does this sit in the pantheon of Tarantino movies for you? Well, I was going to start just with Hexter. Like, what did you think of the movie? Because nobody knows. Maybe Hexter wanted to talk about because he hated it. I mean, I happen to know he didn't hate it. But, <laughs> yeah. but I, uh, what, did you, what yeah. did you think about it? I think, I think we should talk the movie and then we'll go from that into a discussion of like Tarantino as a whole and where we see it fitting. Right. But the, I'd like to see pantheon. where it sits just in general. For well, I'm not ready to talk about that, Josh. <laughs> well, Liam's not ready to talk about it. <laughs> 
<laughs> so we'll get to it later, Brian. Sorry. No, what do you, you think? Do you, do you, do you, where, yeah, what do you think? I absolutely loved it. And, okay. and and you saw it in 70 millimeter with the intermission. I did, okay. yeah. And so I loved the way that was set up. I, I absolutely loved, you know. Where did you see it? When? Where? Where? At Riverview on Christmas Day. See, you're the second person I've spoken to who's seen it at Riverview. Yo, I can't do Riverview for shit. I can't. I cannot. Why? It scares me there. It scares you. I mean, oh, let's not get into that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just letting you know, man. So the pre- but I just want I I asked because I want to know. So the presentation was good. You felt like the projection was good. It was. The presentation Did they was have good. the appropriate masking and all that stuff? Because that was something that someone brought up to me on on the interwebs as well. I yeah. think I think that masking issue isn't that big a deal. I, I think it's think it I think it's more just either. the size and the presentation. Because when Dan went to see it, our friend Dan Tabor went to see it. The aspect ratio was wrong, so parts of the screen were just straight up cut I off. I heard about that. Like yeah. people did it so it filled the screen, and you cut off like. The whole point that it's in seventy millimeter. Yeah, it was just like a center instead of the whole thing. Which Anyways, absolutely. Go, no go ahead. So, what 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 are some of your initial thoughts about it? So, I mean, I thought the acting was great. Jennifer Jason Lee was insane. Unbel- oh, unbelievable. Shit. Unbelievable. Um, I almost forgot that Channing Tatum was in it for a while. Melani remember that from the credits because so when he came in, I wasn't expecting it at all. Totally blindsided. Correct. Yeah. So, um, and then yeah, just. I loved Samuel L. Jackson in it. Yeah. Like, I mean, in recent memory, one of his best roles, I feel. He was awesome in it. I was a little disappointed by Kurt Russell, a little bit, but I mean, I still thought he was great. I mean, but I think of everybody. Why were, you, in the film, why were you disappointed in Kurt Russell? I don't know. So, like, it, it just didn't feel like one of his best acted characters. Like, I don't know. It just. Something about it. When I walked away, I was kind of like, he was my least favorite in yeah. all of this. Really? But, and I, I can't necessarily say why, but walking out of it, I was like thinking about all of the other performances in it. Sure. And he kind of like ranked towards the bottom of it. And, but overall, but I walked out of it. towards the bottom of a lot of awesome people in this movie. Correct. So. Yeah. And Tim Roth. Was, yeah. Like his character was Dude. hilarious and great in it. So good. Um, when he switches to Cockney in the middle. Yeah. So brilliant. It's, oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah, it's like, that wow. was unexpected and yeah. awesome and hilarious. But, yeah, I mean, it's... I walked out of it loving it, and I went and saw it with a bunch of friends. They were uh-huh. probably about eight or nine of us that went together. So maybe the experience of seeing it with a bunch of friends maybe, like tweaks the bias a little bit that is like I got to go see this with a bunch of people yeah, there's I've like loved. an excitement factor yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, it definitely felt like a middle school hangout like all of us going <laughs> sure, to the movies sure. together <laughs> and then coming out and all of us like so stoked on the movie <laughs> yeah so that's that, awesome though yeah that's so great. I mean that's the best thing about going to the movies is like going to enjoy it with people and yeah. it, it was a film that we all loved and were able to like walk out of the theater like raving about it yeah. and, but I mean at the same time if it was a bad film we all would have walked out probably talking about why we hated it but we didn't and I don't think one person in that large group of us disliked the film Mm. and all of us seemingly loved it for different reasons Mm. Um, so Jeff Ziga who is an alum of this show yep guest of the show and in my new band oh Oh, I forgot about that yeah Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that he pointed out um, was that like 
I, of course, I, I would imagine we would introduce this with spoilers. Of yes, course. of course. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Let's say that right up front because we got to talk about the shit that happens in the movie. So we spoilers. are going to spoil the shit out of this yeah, movie spo- as per usual. Spoiled as fuck. <laughs> so Jennifer Jason Lee with her brother's brains and blood all over her face. After. So good. So brutal. So yeah. So I loved it because that just felt like pure. Tarantino brutality, gore, guts, and everything. Yeah. But Jeff pointed out that at that moment it felt like a horror movie. Yeah. You're really, watching it, really did. And yeah. how insane she looks with her brother's fragments of skull and oh. brain on her face, and the way she looks, it felt like we were watching a horror movie at that time. And yeah. he's absolutely right. And I, th- I, I think I that was kind of the point. It felt a little bit like he was riffing on a horror movie as much as he was a western. Yeah. 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 And as a Western, I love the film. Yeah. So like, I think it was a perfectly good Western, even though, do you, you know. It's do you guys, are you guys versed in Westerns? Like, have you seen a lot of Westerns? I have become more so. Thanks to the, all of the film courses I've taken, yes. You've seen a lot. Yeah. Right. Okay. So how does this measure up to other Westerns? Just, just from a, a purely, like, college class perspective, how, how would you say? I would call this an anti-Western, personally. Really? Yeah. Well, I, I feel like it borrows a lot from spaghetti westerns, and spaghetti westerns, unlike more traditional American influenced westerns, tend to be a little more nihilistic. There's less like heroes. Everyone is oh, kind yeah. of shady, and I think Absolutely. this movie. And that's why I'm calling it. The yeah, this movie very much is like that spaghetti western model of like uh, everything is morally ambiguous. There's uh, now, I I want you. To, I don't want to get into my theory yet. But I have a theory that the my initial response, which is there's no hero, it's all sort of nihilistic, whatever. I've actually rethought that now that I've seen it twice. And I have a new you have theory. seen it twice now. Yes. Right. The second um, time you you, did, you saw it in seventy, or you saw? Oh it on, yes. Oh wow. Okay. Come on. Oh yes. No, but I want to keep going. You were you were you were talking about some of the things that people loved about the movie when you saw it. So yeah, so that's like the the one thing uh, we just love the like pure Tarantino humor of it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Michael Madsen's character just like yelling uh, when they get to the haberdashery. Sure. And, yeah, the shut the door scene. All of us were like, shut the door. <laughs> you got to put nails in it. Yeah. You got you got to use boards. boards. Two. It's got to be two boards. <laughs> yeah. And. Uh, Dern and like his character, like just like shuddering every time everybody yells. He was such a great crotchety old man, which he always is. Yeah, but, he was awesome. Yeah, but Bruce Dern, love him in it. Um, but he's another one that like kind of ranks towards the bottom of the list, which is crazy thinking that Bruce Dern you can rank towards the bottom of the list yeah. of actors in a film. But especially yeah. like his last movie was Nebraska, right? Wasn't I think yep, so? Yep, yeah, yep. Nebraska is great. It's an awesome movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I just walked out of it loving it. And since you want to talk like Pantheon, it's, sure. it's yeah, up go there ahead. for me. Yeah, go ahead. Top three. Wow, yeah. top three. Top three for me. Wow. Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. wow. That's, a, that's saying a lot. Yeah, because I, I mean, and I want to go see it again and see if it holds up to that initial reaction. I will but, see it with you again. And Please. if Liam's in town, I say you come with us for your third viewing. So you well, can we spend were, nine we, hours. But we were talking about going on a trip to see it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So they're showing it at the Silver Springs AFI Theater in 70, which that's is... Right. I that's, saw you post about that. Dude, yeah, yeah. so we were saying we'll combo that with the Museum of Aeronautics and Space Travel in Chantilly for the 70-millimeter laser projection of Star Wars The Force Awakens. Whoa. So do like right. a full weekend of 70-millimeter... Let's, yeah, let's figure it out. Know, we'll discuss after this. That's the plan. So, Josh, what were some of your responses to The Hateful Eight? I liked it. Um, as far as Tarantino movies go, I, it's not my favorite Tarantino movie. That's fair. At That's the fair. very least, it's 
actually closer to the bottom for me because as well my gut re- I liked the movie sure let's, let's first say that first for me sure I didn't I didn't dislike it as much as I disliked um, Death Proof oh so, really you don't like Death Proof no, that much no that's okay. that's probably my okay. least favorite I mean again it's like a, it's like a Morrissey song like your least favorite Morrissey song is still gonna be eons better than the next favorite song I don't know like, what the right? fuck you're talking about <laughs> so that's how I see it so like that's my least favorite Tarantino movie However, Hateful Eight, I thought, I mean, the projection definitely had a lot to do with how much I loved it. Because how often it's do beautiful. we see a It movie looks in amazing. I've seen so many people be like, oh, it wasn't that big a deal. And I'm like, you're in, especially because, so I went into it skeptical. Because I'm like, well, how is the 70 millimeter going to be that big a deal if they spend a lot of the movie in the cabin? Only everything in the background matters. There's so much stuff going oh, on that you yeah. have noticed. Especially the second time I was watching it, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, what's going on over there? And not in the sense of like there's clues to the plot, but that the people are still in character. They still matter. And granted, I understand like maybe that's not what you wanted. Maybe you wanted the whole film to happen on the side of a mountain, but that's not realistic to the story at all. Right, 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 yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It was gorgeous, man. It was so good. And... um I saw it at the Cherry Hill Lowe's. Sure, sure. And uh, I saw it at the 11 o'clock screening, so there was, like, nobody in there. It was, like, me and Melani and, like, four other people. Sure. So um, maybe that had a lot to do with how much I enjoyed it also because, you know, let's be honest, being in a room by yourself watching a movie is pretty sick, right? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, pretty much any movie you see in that scenario, you're probably going to enjoy more than if you saw it any other way. Yeah. So, um, but I definitely, I, I wasn't disappointed with uh, Kurt Russell. I mean, I love Kurt Russell. There isn't too many Kurt Russell movies, except for maybe Overboard, that I'm like, eh, maybe not, right? So um, uh, Overboard is a great movie. You're crazy. <laughs> Goldie Hawn's finest work. So, um, but I mean, you know, I have a big trouble with a little tiny tattoo. I love Kurt Russell. The Nothing thing. wrong with loving Kurt I Russell. I love the thing. So I love Kurt Russell in this movie. Um, I thought, though, there were a couple criticisms that I did have. The one being this. So in the scene... When he shoots Samuel Jackson in the balls from the basement. Sure. Why didn't he just go underneath where they were sitting already and shoot them when they were making him come out the stairs? I understand what you're saying. Yeah. That was my, I was like, why is he throwing his guns up? He very clearly just proved he can shoot through the floor. My assumption is that, A, they, he doesn't want them to shoot her. That's part of it. Okay. The whole, they're all risking their lives, so she will live. She's the most important part. Everyone there is willing to die for her, for, for whatever reason. Right. His is maybe more obvious than theirs, but whatever. Two, I didn't get the feeling that he actually could see. I felt like the only reason he could shoot Samuel Jackson is because Samuel Jackson was making the speech. And he only They're shot... still yelling at him from one spot, and he shot, so he can't move. But this is what I'm saying, though. They then have their guns trained on her. What, uh, what happens is they bushwhack them, so... He, uh, Walton Goggins is in one spot and he's being taken care of by Tim Roth. Samuel Jackson is in another spot. And so he's is like, okay, well, if British dude can shoot the Walton Goggins character and I shoot Samuel Jackson, we're in the clear. But once he doesn't kill Samuel Jackson and Walton Goggins survives, that means they both have their guns trained on his sister. Ah, so realistically, nothing he could do would mean she wouldn't get shot in the head. Right. So, and, and that's the focus. Now, if what, he just. What do you guys think of Walton Goggins? It's fucking amazing. Yeah. I, if we're going by pure performance, I think the best performance in the movie, without a doubt. Really? His character has a huge arc. He yeah. plays each point well. He switches, you know, the part, my favorite part is the part in the carriage 
where he's getting real emotional about his... I mean, first of all, it's really clear that the point of the character is that he isn't actually have any convictions. Even his racism is about his dad. He has no real beliefs. He's been raised by his dad. All he cares about is what his dad taught him to care about. And so in the in the carriage, what he's offended by is the suggestions about his dad and what his dad taught him. Right. The actual personage of Samuel Jackson doesn't really matter to him until it starts to represent something. Uh-huh. And then he's like picking and he's picking. But also that switch where as soon as he realizes he's in danger, he's like, oh, you got me talking politics. You know, <laughs> there's this real like sliminess to him that like I don't think is meant to be morally questionable. It's just supposed to show you that he's a survivor. He's right. willing to do whatever it takes to get by. And that is, um, in some ways, emblematic of that time. Like, yeah. that's what you had to do. That's and who you had to be. with Samuel Jackson. That is pretty awesome, the way that works out. Yeah, and I don't think it's, I don't think the, the end is meant to justify him, per se, because I don't think anyone's meant to be justified. But I do think, justified, that's funny, that's the show he's on. Uh, <laughs> but I do think that um, his character really grows a little bit, because yeah. he... I, as much as he plays off like, I don't believe in those men, I think it's more like him saying like, look, 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 look. Samuel Jackson's race is not as important as the fact that you would have let me die. Right. If I have to choose between this alliance and that alliance, I'm actually going to do something that was really hard for people at the time. I'm going to cross a racial boundary uh-huh. because you were going to let me die. And that's more <laughs> important. And like, as much as that is self-interest, it's a self-interest that I think I'm like, yeah, that makes like perfect sense. Something about that moment was so good to me. I was like, that's yeah. right, motherfucker. They were going <laughs> to let you drink that poison coffee. And they didn't give a fuck. <laughs> and I think that's what, that this is the thing. That whole flashback part too, yeah. I think is really important to the structure. Of the movie. I'm going to get in the movie a little bit now, but uh, I think that part was really important to me too, because honestly, even though she's racist and she says crazy shit, you could feel some sympathy for that character until you see her closest compatriots murder the only nice people in the movie. Right. Everyone in the movie is me. Even, even our quote-unquote heroes, like Samuel Jackson, I think is the hero in a lot of ways of the movie, uh-huh. still does some fucked up shit. Yeah. Kurt Russell's character is an asshole. People Total are like, asshole. oh, yeah. he's, he's like the best guy in the movie. I'm like, nah, no. Definitely not. Worst dude. Yeah. Not the worst. I don't know if he's the worst dude. But like, he's, definitely he's definitely not bad. a good... But like, you could feel sympathy for her because he's such an asshole. Or even right. a little bit because of Samuel Jackson. But then he introduces a bunch of characters that are actually good people that are living in a multiracial situation. I think that's important. Multi-gendered, multiracial situation. In harmony. Now, granted... We now we're s- talking the people from the haberdashery. Yeah. Record. Now yes. we do see that Minnie doesn't like Mexicans, so they're still ra- like he's not <laughs> yeah. willing to absolve anyone. Right. No one is completely absolved, but these people don't deserve to die. They don't even deserve to be harassed, and they are unceremoniously murdered for her. All of a sudden, when she has the brains on her, shit, I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Minnie's dead for you. For what reason? No reason. Like I, I thought maybe they're going to reveal eventually that he- her. That there was, it was unjust that she had not done anything wrong. Or I, I really thought Tarantino was going to complicate her character, but he did in the other direction. He made her worse than she yeah. already was. Wow! And then I was like, oh man, I just realized. Well, so, so let me back this whole train up a little bit. Right. I loved Walton Goggins. I thought he was great. I thought. I only think of him as the guy who had the jawbreaker tattoo in Predators. Oh, is that right? I don't even yeah. remember that. In Predators, he's the one convict who has the jawbreaker tattoo on his forearm. That's like, really oh, funny. Oh shit. That's really funny. I love Jawbreaker. <laughs> I've never watched Justified. I'm told I should, but I've I have no idea it. about it. I just know he has a tattoo of Jawbreaker. And a lot of people know him because of that show. He's yeah. like, uh, I don't even anyway. know what that show's about. So you know. It's a weird cowboy show. I don't fucking know. 
I've heard very good things as well. I've heard good things. I've just never watched it. I've, I'm sure we have listeners who are going to be like, I can't believe you never watched Justified. What the fuck? <laughs> so uh, I, I got to go. I got to say, I loved The Hateful Eight. Uh, I, there are certain things I hate about The Hateful Eight that right. keep it from being where you are, Hexter, of like one of the best. The voiceover is bullshit. You don't like the voiceover? I really? fucking hate it. Oh See, my that's God. the one thing that confuses me about the digital projection because without the... They intermission? Did. No, 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 no. That they still have the voiceover. Oh, I talked to someone. I saw someone posted. They went and saw the digital version. Right. Still has the voiceover even without the intermission. It's just there. Does that? Does it? It seems like the perfect thing after the intermission. So I can't imagine it as one fluid movie. I'm of the opinion it seems like the perfect thing not to put in your fucking movie. I think it's the worst part of the movie of any part of the movie. The intermission. Or not wow. the intermission, the voiceover. Intermission was great. Everything about the 70 million projection was great. But right. the fact that Quentin Tarantino, A, that he does his own fucking voiceover. Oh, I do want to say I have shit to talk about the Cherry Hill Lowe's uh, people at the concession stand who uh, made the wait really long and I missed the uh, voiceover. <laughs> because I was waiting for Melani's hot dog. I was like, wait, I, I literally was like, wait, why are you interrupting me about the food thing? And then you're like, oh, I missed the voiceover. Like, oh, okay. I just think the voiceover was unnecessary. I think people could figure it out without it. I don't think it added anything in and of itself. I think doing it himself was really weird. That's what I was about to point out, that it seems odd that he would do it instead of just not, not anybody from the film, just like... Somebody else doing it. Anybody else. Yeah. I really, but to do it yourself and to do it in that tone of voice that's like, all right, here's what's going on. <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> and that's why I named this chapter. The, and I'm like, I had fuck no you, problem. Quentin. Oh, no problem it. with the it. voiceover, except kind of like the way, I mean, it's, it's him being him. I mean, okay, it's, it's you, also, that's, that's fair. Maybe if it was executed differently, I wouldn't have minded it so okay. much. But just the way it is, what the voiceover is, twice I've seen the movie. Second time I saw it, I thought, well, I know it's coming now, so it's not going to bother me. It happened, and I went, ah, oh, fuck you, man. Like, really? Wow. And it's, it's Very a visceral reaction to the voiceover. I hated the voiceover, and then I thought the flashback was very important to the plot. Yeah. But it, it took way too long. The whole I, flashback took long, or? The whole flashback was too long. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to say what should get cut because the intro to the flashback is kind of cool because you're really seeing the 70 millimeter, all the, yeah. but it was really long. I mean, it takes a long time to get to that cabin. You, the, the, the score is amazing. So it's, I don't want to cut it cause I like the score. I like the visuals, but it doesn't really add anything to the story. And then as soon as they get to the cabin, you're like, Oh, everyone's going to die. And it just draws out and it draws out and it draws out. And I just really, I love Zoe Bell. I didn't love her in this movie. I thought right. her like, hey, I'm the chipper uh, New Zealand, yeah. Yeah, whatever, yeah, Auckland or whatever the fuck. <laughs> and I, I just happen to have this Native American outfit on and I'm just in a real good mood. I'm like, no, fuck you. Like, uh, uh, that bothered me. On the other hand, other elements of that flashback to me were essential. Like, you couldn't not, that has to be in the movie. There's yeah. just, I want something about it to be a little bit different. Well, I mean, yeah, it definitely helped bring things full circle like sure. the, the half plucked chicken oh yeah like, oh, 100% that's, that's yeah, bad luck that was awesome now we know why the half plucked chicken <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> yeah, it, it brings so many things back to the story that yeah. I mean maybe it didn't have to be as long as it was sure but I still feel it's essential to the to the film well the whole movie is again three and a half hours long it's gonna take time but no but that's what I'm saying like if, I mean if you have a three and a half hour long movie yeah cut five to ten minutes out of the flashback 
It's the only part that I felt dragged. I mean, lots of people have said other parts of the movie. The only part that I felt dragged mm-hmm. was the flashback. Right. Everything else in the movie worked for me. I thought the whole first section was perfect. Mm-hmm. And the second section, again, most of the flashback was great. It just felt, it was the one part where I felt like we were losing momentum. And mm-hmm. I didn't really get it. And I was right. like, I get why this is important, but I don't know why you're shooting it this way. I don't know why it's taking so long. There's so much buildup. It just felt unnecessary to me. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it was also, once you take away some of the drag of that, there was some great moments in it that were like some of my favorite parts. The interaction of Pretty Boy, what is his name? I already forgot his name. Well, I've got a list of characters. <laughs> no, no, no. Her, her brother, her brother, her brother. Channing Tatum? What's Channing Tatum. So the interaction of Channing Tatum. You call him Pretty Boy? Yeah. It's great. Oh, the fine. interaction of Channing T- the interaction of Magic Mike with Bruce Stern <laughs> was fucking great. Like so that was brutal. so good. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and that whole thing was so essential to see how bloodthirsty they were, like how willing they were to do whatever it took. That's awesome. Yeah, I do like the book. Man. Uh, so that the, being said, see, it sounds like I'm sh- the movie. The reason I bring those two things up is I know this film actually is pretty controversial. A lot of people have very negative things to say. There's a lot of like real shitting on the movie. Those are the only things I didn't like about the movie. I think overall the movie is still very high for me in his in his uh, work. And I think it's interesting because you brought this up. Someone said this to you. And I think there's a yes and there's a no here. My first response to the movie is to say, this is his first movie that isn't a redemption-y, hero-y tale. Right. So all these other movies, even if they're complicated narratives, there's someone who is the character or there's something about it that you're rooting for. There's some sort of like heroic thing. There's like a, like a moral core that might be surrounded by bullshit. And the first time I saw this movie, I thought, oh, this is the first one that doesn't have that. Now, I kind of like that because that made it feel like a spaghetti western. It also made it feel like the movie he keeps citing is The Thing. The thing about The yeah. Thing is you identify with Kurt Russell in The Thing, but at the end of the movie either he or the other dude could be the thing. I mean, you don't yeah, really you know don't at the end know. of the movie. And so the th- that in that sense, besides the fact that Kurt Russell's in it's in, in, in the snow, it's also like the thing in that no one is a safe, other than the people who are already murdered, uh-huh. no one in that cabin is a safe character. Everyone right. is someone that could kill someone else and you just don't know who to trust or what's good. So like that, there's that reflection too. But it also made me think of a Spaghetti Western in which Spaghetti Westerns, even the character that you're rooting for is kind of horrible. And Spaghetti Westerns, uh, they really sort of paint a picture of the West in which everyone is different kinds of bad or they're weak and vulnerable. You know what I mean? And so my first viewing, that's what I was thinking. is like, that's what this movie is. Second viewing, I have so much more sympathy for the Samuel L. Jackson character. And in fact... The moment where a lot of people lost, maybe they didn't lose sympathy, but they sort of saw him as more complicated, the scene with the letter. At the dinner table. Where the letter is a lie and Kurt Russell's real hurt. On second viewing, I thought, all my sympathy is with Samuel L. Jackson in this scene. I have no sympathy for Kurt Russell in this scene. And in fact, if I take away, if I really acknowledge that the letter is a necessary lie for him to live... Samuel Jackson's like the most morally, other than the, again, the slaughtered people, right. of the people who are dangerous in the movie, of the hateful eight, Samuel Jackson is the, the most hateful. He's the most sympathetically hateful. I mean, of course he's hateful. Why shouldn't he be? In fact, I almost feel like Tarantino's sort of saying, like, of all of these hateful people, only one of them has a good reason, and that's the black guy. Right. And everyone else is just hateful because that's how they've learned to be and they've learned to survive. But one is completely justified. In fact, if he straight up said, you're right, the only reason I fought in the Civil War is because I like killing white people. I feel like Tarantino would be like, yeah, that's right. 
good, good, good job. <laughs> That's why. That's I did right. It. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Exter? So, I mean, my biggest thing, and you've kind of already touched on it, especially with Walton Goggins' character. Yeah. Everyone is there because of self-preservation. Right, right. They're all looking for a way to stay alive. And it's not even yeah. about making money. Like, Kurt Russell's character, he's the hangman. And, like, he's bringing in all these bounty hunters. And they're always talking about, like, oh, well, this one's earning me this much money. This one's earning me this much money. But, honestly, it's all about self-preservation. And it's all about, like, what can I do in this moment to make yeah. sure I'm not getting killed by somebody? Yeah. And so... Kurt Russell sets it up so they're like, all right, I'll unshackle you so you can watch Goggins' character. And, um, but in the beginning, he wouldn't let a friend of his into the carriage without let him, letting him be shackled. And that yep. happens a lot. And it happens in the cabin, too, that like when Goggins puts a, the race thing aside, even though it's not really his conviction, it's just something that he kind of is like taking up. He's like, all right, well, you guys are going to let me die, so I'm on his side now. And even yeah. though, like, in the beginning, he was like, uh, with Bruce Dern's character, oh, you're General Smithers? Oh, man, I love you because my dad taught me to love you. And yeah. I'm going to go talk yeah. to you. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so every person in this movie, you can't hate on them too much because they're just trying to stay alive. Well, I think a lot of people found the scene where Samuel Jackson manipulates Bruce Dern in order to pick up the gun so he can, like, kill him. A lot of people, again, were like, well, that shows that he's... And I'm like... It shows what? Again, don't get me wrong. I don't, I wouldn't do that. But within the context <laughs> of the movie and all the violence in the movie, yeah. I really think Tarantino's like, no, again, that's justified. That motherfucker sucks. There's nothing as much as charming as Bruce Dern is as an actor, as much as he's an old man. He murdered. That man sucks. And Samuel Jackson is justified in shooting him down. Like, I really think Tarantino is saying, like, sure, Samuel Jackson is as dangerous as they are, but I think he's supposed to be at least slightly more sympathetic than the other characters in the movie. But are you sure about that? Because I then, really think then so. we learn about him burning down the the fort so he can get away alive. So, and again, this goes back to the self-preservation thing. He burns down that fort so he can get out, but he kills Confederate and Union soldiers in the yeah. process. Yeah. And then we find out about him with Bruce Dern's kid. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, it's brutal. Yeah, I, 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 again, brutal. again, again. But I is don't that know. self-preservation at that point? No, that's just hubris. <laughs> oh, here's this man. But I don't know. I fought in a war. I, I, Once I find out that that was your kid, oh, I'm gonna torture him. I. But here's the thing. I really think on second viewing, that uh, though t- though Samuel Jackson's character is not a hero, like he's not noble. I think Tarantino's saying, look, in this world that he's presenting us, even that action. It's vengeance, but this is a guy who wanted to kill him for, in a lot of ways, uh, just being a proud black man. I mean, that's part of the problem, is that everyone committed... I mean, even the Bruce Stern character committed atrocities. He murdered, uh, surrendered Union soldiers because yeah. they were black. So, I, 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 again, this might just be my view, but on second watch, I really felt like... So you think the movie is like a really pro-black movie? I think it is, yeah, which is why it's so funny since the That's major big, reaction from yeah. people who hate it yeah. is, that is it's a be- racist movie. It's so racist because there's so many end bombs. Which we so what part of what we were talking about ear- earlier is we were having this conversation with uh, uh, Randy, Randy who works here and is on the Black Tribbles, Malcolm, program, which is Malcolm, awesome, which is amazing, and he's on the Black Tribbles podcast, which is also amazing, and and we were talking about that moment in Pulp Fiction where Tarantino's just. You know, dropping dropping the, the N word yeah. like he's like the you know has every right to, and of course in the structure of the movie, I think he's doing that to mess with Samuel Jackson's character. It's whatever, but the point is, is like it's so weird to me that people felt more comfortable with that 
than a movie in which, I mean, which of these characters do we think would hear that word and be like, oh, guys, I'm offended. Could you not say that? Right. Everyone would say it. They would just say it. It's like, right after the Civil War. I mean, he's, I mean, I guess to some extent you really have to say, like, look, are you willing to let Tarantino make... I mean, maybe what we want to say, maybe what some people want to say is no one can make a movie with that many N-bombs unless they themselves are black and feel... And that's when we trust them to do it properly. If you're not willing to say that and you're just picking on Tarantino, then I go the other direction. Why don't more Westerns have that much race? You know, it's not like race wasn't present in those in those times. It's just directors, for good or bad reasons, left it alone. They didn't put it in their movie. It's not part of the, the framework. And uh, and they even kept out people of color. You yeah, on purpose. Italians playing yeah. Native Americans. Just yeah. Oh, their skin's a little dark, too. Yeah, we'll just put a little red on you. You'll Couple be fine. Feathers, you'll be all right. Yeah. So, I, 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 I mean, I'm, again, I'm, I'm not trying to just... If, if someone really feels like, I can't watch that movie, it really makes me uncomfortable that that's part of the movie, I'm not going to... The same way that, like, I like all kinds of offensive movies that if someone's like, oh, I can't do that movie because of all the gore or all the sex or all the whatever, that's their choice. I'm not going to try to make them feel shitty. But to say that this movie's more racist than Pulp Fiction... Is that real? That just feels so fucking made up to me. I mean, Tarantino casts himself in a modern role being utterly offensive, and we just put up with it. But then when it's in context, all of a sudden it's like, well, it's too much. That was too much. That, that was too And on the other hand, I, again, this is my bias, but my reading on the second viewing of the movie is that it's kind of questioning a white, like, and I think the letter is the point there, that the letter is the lie, and that lie is necessary. Like, Tarantino 100% is like, of course he had to do that. Now, you're right. Does he have to make the guy suck his dick? Probably not. But, again, <laughs> I don't think, I don't that's, think. That's pure Tarantino, like, humor. Yeah, yeah. It absolutely is. And, and that, some part of you has to be like, well, that's kind of fucked up, but then again, I don't know. Maybe it's not so fucked up. I don't know. <laughs> What, do you, what, do you, what did you think of that? Where, did, you, did you find him sympathetic uh, compared to some of the other characters? Or did you, did you find the whole cast unsympathetic? I didn't like the whole cast. Hmm. The whole thing is exactly what it was touted as. Hateful. Sure, sure. So it has no redemptive quality to it. Hmm. So there is no point where I'm like, well, sweet. You know what I mean? Like, the whole thing sucks. But I loved it. But, again, I'm not saying that it sucks as a movie. That's wrong. But I am saying that I could. There's no, like, upbeat for you. There's there no positive. Because no, it's, like, you're, you're right. Like you said, it is the only Tarantino movie without any redemptive quality to it. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely say every other sort of redemptive. There's something. Or hero arc. They're still mired in crap. Like, he never gives you a clean. It's not clean, any no. of those things. But, but there's always something, some story, core, emotional core, even if it's, like, kind of fucked up. I mean, again, one of your other least favorite movies is uh, Death Proof. Right. Death Proof really just culminates in a bunch of chicks beating up a sexist dude. And maybe that's not that great, but that's like kind of exciting in some ways. Yeah. Hateful Eight doesn't have quite the same emotional payoff, but I don't know. But isn't I that really... the point of like a yeah. anti-Western? Yeah, and maybe even the point of this, like, yeah, you're not supposed to necessarily root for anybody, and you right. might, but maybe that speaks something about you as a person. Yeah, or I mean, I, f- I, I do. I mean, it does to me. I fucking hate white people, so. <laughs> I just was like, yeah, man, make them suck your dick. No, I wasn't really like that at all. But like I said, the first time I watched it, I thought everyone is kind of gross. And yeah. then it was only on my second watch. So I'm kind of like, well, but if we're putting everyone in the category, again, not the minis, haberdasher people who get slaughtered like, like lambs, but the, of the hateful eight, I still feel like there's a hierarchy of hatefuls. And Samuel Jackson's just the one that I was most like, I don't know, man. And I think, I, I guess what I, I'm probably reacting most to the letter thing. I think Hexter, you're right to bring up, 
that, that, that is kind of a fucked up story he tells. I don't feel bad when he shoots Bruce Darren, but just the idea of like, I made him walk in the cold for two hours and then he sucked my dick and whatever. That's like a little fucked up, that thing. But I've seen a lot of people be like, well, you know, the thing about Samuel Jackson's character is that letter and then you just feel bad for Kurt Russell. And I, I really want to say, if you feel bad for Kurt Russell, you are part of the problem. Like, I, I, maybe that's harsh, but just like the way people have been so sensitive to Kurt Russell, I'm like, yo, there are black people who are not honest with you today because they feel like they can't trust your ass with how they actually feel in the world. And if you don't know that as a white person, you need to get clued into the world you live in, let alone the world that this movie is set in, which is far worse. Samuel Jackson at any point could eat a bullet and people would be like, oh yeah, that, that black guy got shot. I mean, it wouldn't matter at all. It would matter actually surprisingly less than it does now. And it seems like now it doesn't really matter that much to a lot of people. True. Anyway, so I will say yes. If you feel sensitive for the freezing naked boy sucking Samuel Jackson's dick, that's okay. Like, you probably should feel some sympathy for that, even if he's a racist rebel. It is kind of fucked up that that happened to him. And he was on his way to kill Samuel Jackson. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's somewhat justified, but it's it's not maybe as justified in its extent. And, you know, I I mean, maybe part of the reason I can write it off is because I'm a pacifist. So as soon as anyone's shooting anybody, I'm like, well, technically, I don't agree with that. But if, like, if it's all violence, then I'm kind of like, well, well you know, something's going to yeah. happen. Uh, but, like, I really, I don't know. Maybe I'm just reacting to this feeling I have. Like, every time I've read someone get on a tantrum, you know, a thing about the letter and how they felt so bad for Kurt Russell, like, really bums me out. I don't know. Maybe I'm taking it too personally. But every time I read someone talking about that, I'm just like, why does that bum you out so bad? He needs something like that, or yeah. else he would be dead. He would be long dead without right. that shit. You know? Right, right, know. right. It's a necessary deception. What would you guys think of the score as a whole? The Ennio, we yeah, should point Morricone. out, for those of you who don't know this, the Ennio Morricone score. You yeah. may know him from awesome. his music from, like, uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Um, I should know all these off the top of my head, and I definitely don't. <laughs> uh, Fistful of Dollars, I think he did. Yeah. Um, Fuck, go to IMDb, click on... Well, if you go on IMDb too, it lists his stuff. This is how I got confused. He's listed both as, comp- like, I think it's like soundtracks and then composer and then something else. So it lists different movies. And I forget, there's one category that has more that you want to look at. Because he's done... He did so many movies from that era. Not, and not just it's spaghetti westerns. How much yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was very prolific. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go off on a tangent that doesn't matter. <laughs> go ahead. But, well, no, no, no. So I feel like I just saw something that wasn't Hateful Eight that he did uh, a score with that is kind of like surprising that he was in it, but I can't think of what it was. Well, he's so. definitely done a lot of, this is what I think, he's done a lot of modern movies that don't feel like his score, but I think he's probably a little bit more... Um, restricted in what he's able to do on like big Hollywood productions you know Mm -hmm. so if you look on his IMDB uh, there's a soundtrack section that's 243 movies and then there's a composer section that's 530 movies holy shit that's the one you want to look at it's the composer section Um, and wow uh, in the soundtrack section the reason you get confused is some of those movies even though uh, basically people use his songs and that he didn't compose for that movie. So mm-hmm. there's some really weird, shitty movies in there that you're like, okay. How did, but they just used his music. Wow. And in fact, this is what's funny. Uh, I read on IMDb, he had originally sworn never to work with Quentin Tarantino. Supposedly, he hated the way his music was used in Django. Oh. Really hated it. In Django Unchained, to be right. specific, because the original Django is not a Quentin Tarantino Yeah. Movie. But he met with Tarantino, they worked out their shit, and he agreed to compose for this movie, and... His compositions for this movie are amazing. Just next right. level. Unbelievable. Like, uh, 
I couldn't believe it. I, I, I just <laughs> said I couldn't believe it twice. But the point is, is he's he's it. it the music really carried me in this movie and what's interesting I thought about the score is that it's so dynamic that could be mm. a horror movie score that could be yeah. an action movie score oh, yeah. like it, sure. it, even as it has hints of some of his classic spaghetti westerns it is really dynamic and really adds a lot that could work in a lot of and really made me think about this movie in the context of horror not just with Jennifer Jason Lee covered in brains but <laughs> but just like the, the the harshness of it the intensity of it some of the imagery of it is so horror like so, but here's so that's so that leads to this point though of like why exactly do we give Tarantino this pass on the race and the sexism and like these things that are very nascent in all of his movies? I feel like around the time that Django came out, he was interviewed. It was an NPR related thing. I don't, I don't mm. know if it was like an NPR news show or if it was uh, like a long form piece, but he was definitely interviewed about it, and I think that he thinks. He gets a pass because of his upbringing. Like, do you guys know anything about his upbringing? No. Other than that, he watched a lot of movies. No. Uh, so I mean, so he grew up in like a shitty part of town. Yeah. And I'm probably going to be horribly paraphrasing this, but um, he grew up in like a single parent household, uh, living with his mom, and she dated. Uh, a black man like growing up and he went to a lot of black exploitation films like of where he grew up and he kind of feels it seems that he kind of feels like I've got a right to this because I'm in tune with this because of how I grew up and that's the impression that I got from listening to that interview a couple of years ago that he like is like it's okay for me to do this because I grew up in that world hey uh, that, that, like, let, let me interrupt you real quick I gotta take a pause real quick They are like, making us, you know, sit around the table at a coffee shop and discuss, like, all right, why should I feel bad about Jennifer Jason Lee getting punched in the face? Why should I feel bad about that extended hanging scene with her? And it's like, sure, there's going to be people that are like, oh, that was cool and gory. And there's going to be that guy sitting behind you at the movie theater laughing every single time she got punched in the face. But he's not making that in the movie for that kind of person. And he knows, I would imagine okay. he knows right. that he's going to get that sort of reaction from a sort of person. But he's smarter than that. He's not doing violence for the sake of violence. He's doing violence for the sake of talking about and making comments about violence in the world and things like that. I, uh, I think it's always been with Tarantino. I think that's a really good point. I also want to point out that uh, I totally fucked up recording and we lost everything except for the point you just made. Really? Yeah, I wasn't recording any of that. Oh. <laughs> 
Well, it's mostly me talking, so I don't feel bad. But you, you, you caught Hexter. So the last thing you heard, sorry, y'all. So what happened was my laptop died, and then I thought I hit record on the digital recorder. But it's actually not recording when it's flashing. It's recording when it's just straight red. Oops. All right. So uh, for those of you who just heard Hexter make his very important point, which is we were discussing, you know, Josh asked this question, which I think is worth asking. Why do you feel like Tarantino gets a pass? And we all kind of talked about it a little bit, but the point we were sort of ending on there, and I, we don't have to go back and retread it for you. We just had a good conversation without you. Is that... <laughs> that you'll never hear. You'll never hear. <laughs> is, uh, is a little bit of like how amazing it is that actually going in the other direction, that Tarantino manages to inject so much meaning into his movies while they're still fun in some ways. They're dark. They're darkly humorous. And Hexter was pointing out, I think quite eloquently, that um, that the movie isn't for the person who can see some of that stuff and just think, oh, this is funny. Because I think you're actually supposed to. I mean, like, you, like I said, that first shot, she gets hit. You don't see it coming. And instead of just pulling away like, oh, that happened, it doesn't matter. He focuses on her face, on her reaction to it, on how she feels about it. I mean, you don't have to be a fucking uh, film, you know, uh, academic to stop and go, okay, well, why is he showing me this? Why am I seeing this right now? Why are yeah. we so focused on her reaction? And that happens again. She gets hit again. She blood like, trickles licks down her it. Head. She uh. looks at it. And she has this mixed reaction of like, she's menacing, but she's also vulnerable at the same time. It's so weird, but it's so good, you know? Yeah, it's definitely like... Uh a weird thing, but it's also showing how strong she is as a character. And we sure. see that later in the movie as well when she's like tied up and on the ground. Sure. And it's just showing she is a strong female character. She's the only female character besides like um, Minnie who, and, yeah. and the people who work at the haberdashery. But she's not a weak character. Sure. In, in any sense of the word, she's able to drag a dead body across the floor to like get certain things, like while yeah. slipping and all the like, yeah, the cuts off his arm with a yeah. machete. Yeah, yeah. holy so, shit! Yeah, she's both strong internally, externally. Like, yeah. she is a terrifying force in that movie. Absolutely, yeah. and I, it's great. And I think I think uh, part of what we said that didn't get captured. Uh, I don't know that Tarantino has. I mean, even since Pulp Fiction, people have been questioning him in these sense. And if you want to say, like, I don't feel comfortable with the way Tarantino uses race or gender in a film, I don't, I don't have a judgment for that. Like, I, I'm actually not offended by people who are not down with Tarantino. But don't, don't tell me that he's not doing any. I mean, I think it's just a question of what's, is it better to do a subtle, like, you could do a subtle story and engage all the things that he engages in a very artsy, intellectual way. And I am not down talking that. I think that's great. I love those movies. But if you want mountains of gore, if you want a movie that borrows from a history of exploitation, grindhouse filmmaking, if you want that, only Tarantino that I can think of does that to such excess and still has a point, still has meaning. He has something for you to think about. Every one of his films, there's something for you to stop and go, all right, well, what's this? You know, like in, I mean, uh, you know, in Reservoir Dogs, there's these questions about loyalty and about connection. And really, is, is the lying of the criminals any worse than the lying of the police? Well, with Michael Maxson's character, sure, that man's a psychopath. But with Harvey Keitel's character, you're kind of like, I like him more than any of the cops in this movie. I don't know why, you know, how do you choose that? Even though there's gritty, you know, they're not, perfect characters same with pulp fiction there's this feeling of uh of fate and loyalty and what's going on there um and then i I, i'll say it again because we didn't get recorded jackie brown is my favorite quentin tarantino movie 
there's really a question there about what she's doing to survive and is it justified? And I think it is, you know, and there's a lot of complicated things there. So on the other hand, I don't think as much as I love Tarantino, I am willing to say, I don't think we should give him a pass in the sense of like every Tarantino movie that comes out, I shouldn't stop and go, have we crossed the line? You should say that about every, I mean, the fact that you, when you see a Disney movie aren't going, Am I okay with this? Because yeah. there's a few Disney movies that are more offensive than any amount of N-bombs on a Gwen Tarantino movie. As Peter far as Pan. Yeah. Great example. Ooh, yeah. I was way too loud there. Sorry. Yeah. Great example. Peter Pan. What the fuck? Like, for real, what the fuck? Anyway, sorry. Um, so what do, you, what do you think, Josh? Do you feel... Are you struggling? Do you feel okay with uh, being a Tarantino fan? Or are you... And I don't think you should feel bad about... Like, there are definitely things I'm fans of that I... Things I enjoy, which I feel like are questionable, you know? Well, I overlook things that I would normally criticize because of the things that Tarantino makes me think about, right? Sure. So we're saying that all of his movies are laden with these deeper thoughts, that everything's a vehicle for some other philosophical quandary. But it's not, but it's not, man, I'm so loud on this digital thing. It's not beholden to it. It's, it's he, never, be, he never takes away from the entertainment. It's not my point. point. Not my point. My yeah. point is that I don't, that I go straight to those questions in my mind. Sure, But sure, I don't sure, address sure, sure. the more baser questions that are already things I think about every day. Sure. You know what I mean? Like things like just, again, racial disparity, stuff like that, that he just, he bandies around to get to those deeper issues. And it, it's difficult for me to reconcile that. I, I'm willing not to look at those things as but, I go after the bigger fish. But again, you know? like I don't think his representations for me of race in his films... If I take away the offensive language, right, mm-hmm. I don't think oftentimes his representations are terrible, and sometimes they work really well. I do have some, I mean, you, could, you can make a complicated argument, for example, about Django. Does, does he need the Jamie Foxx naked upside down scene in Django, or is that maybe a step too far? I think you can make a compelling case that it's a step too far, but is that, does that make Django as a whole a bad film, mm-hmm. or does it make it not... Uh, a pro-black film. I think it's, you know, in other words, what I'm uncomfortable with is when people are willing to disparage Tarantino's motives Mm. because they don't like his methods. Uh. You can't, I don't feel comfortable people telling me, well, he's just a racist who likes to abuse black people. Which is a common, that's not like, I just didn't just make that, that's not a caricature, that's not a straw man. Mm. That's an intellectual, serious argument. People are like, no, fuck him, he's actually a super racist. Like, no, 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 no. I don't think that's true at all. But I do think he, he feels comfortable showing us abusive images because those are the images that he finds visceral and exciting. Mm. And he wants to have uh, characters that cross those bounds and he wants to talk about race without making a movie that's about none of the... I, well, you could maybe make an argument that both Django and Hateful Eight are him being more direct about race. Every movie, though, has some element of what's going on with race and white supremacy. Even... Uh, Inglorious Bastards, but more about you know the Semitic question and whatever. I think all these movies address it without being about about it per se. Even Jackie Brown is not just about that, but it's obviously a clear part of it. Part yeah. of it, you know. And I mean, I, again, I I don't know that he's a perfect filmmaker. I mean, he's I, the thing about Tarantino is I don't hate any of his movies. He's still not my favorite director because every movie is something, there's something about it that I'm like, oh, I really like that movie, but there's this one thing that kind of bums me out about that movie. So he's not perfect, but dudes, for me, has never made a bad movie. Like, I've never been like, oh, this movie's bullshit. That's never happened. 
Yeah, I'll agree. I definitely, I mean, I don't know. I've said it before, I'll say it again. It's not who's the most creative, it's whose references are the most obscure. And that's the whole, that's, to me, that's Tarantino in a nutshell. You know what I mean? He references stuff that not too many people know about, so everyone's like, oh man, it's so fresh and new. But, I mean, that being said, you're right. I don't dislike any of his movies, like, super bad, but he also is not my favorite director. So, and I hmm. think that's why. So, Hexter, what do you think? Is, would you, are you uh, a huge Tarantino fan? Is he one of your favorite directors? Do you find yourself back and forth on him? What do you think about him, sort of, as an overall director, not just The Hateful Eight? Uh, overall, so I, I consider myself a casual Tarantino fan. I, sure. I have always enjoyed his work. Uh, Reservoir Dogs, for a while after I saw that, I held that up as one of my favorite movies, but I was also like a nascent film lover at that time. <laughs> uh, but, sure. And I also loved like violent, like mob style, like gangster flicks. Uh, when I was younger, so definitely seeing that, it was kind of like, oh man, this is everything I love. But it's definitely like not faded into obscurity, but it's definitely like taken its place in my heart. But it's definitely not up there. Same with Tarantino. I've always enjoyed him as a director, but he's definitely not like oh, your favorite director. Yeah, for sure. And um, I don't know, but I've always thought that his movies are. At the same time, violent, enjoyable, just like, you know, cool things to watch and like visually pleasing, entertaining, things like that. But they're also witty, intellectual, and he brings up good things. And people still talk about all of them to this day for different reasons. And if it makes you bring up the topic of race and you're calling him a racist, I think he's won. I think he's making you talk about race because that's what that's his point. He yeah. wants us to be talking about race and making that a topic of conversation or he wants us to be talking about sexism and different things like that. And that's always what I thought has been the mark of a good film. Even if you hate it, you're still talking about it. The director did something yeah. right. I think the thing is, is that uh, because he does engage race so much, I, I think people expect him to have like this perfect critical race theory perspective. Whatever. I, I think he's an egalitarian. He wants everyone actually to be treated equally, and he's a smart enough white person to know that's not reality. No one who lives in L.A. and has any brains really could live as long as Tarantino's lived have been like, no, everyone's treated about the same. We live in an equal, just society. Like, he's smart enough to know the society's not just. Does that mean he's willing to deconstruct every stereotype of black people? No. Like, he grew up at a time where... So, one of the things we don't realize, because I think because of the that people throw around the term politically correct a lot. We grew up, and I think, Hexter, you're not that much younger than us, so you still remember it. In the 90s, that term was very specific. It was very much about representation. And it was very much about deconstructing every stereotype. Whereas for Tarantino, and we don't realize this, a lot of the black artist movement of the 70s often exacerbated stereotypes. It celebrated stereotypes, certain stereotypes. They didn't want, they didn't put people on porches eating watermelons, but there was an idea that like, uh, a soulfulness. There was a blackness. Now, the problem, of course, is that uh, for a lot of people, in retrospect, is that maybe it essentialized certain things that were not essential. They're not actually essential. Mm-hmm. But one of the responses to being told you're worthless is to say, not only are we worthwhile, but some of the things that you say are bad are actually beautiful. They're great. And we're going to lift them up. And that's Tarantino. So, like, yeah, of course, when he put Samuel Jackson in a movie, and Samuel Jackson's the tough-talking jive, and people are like, well, look at that. I'm like, but for Tarantino, that's not a negative... St- He's not trying to belittle that character. He thinks that's the man. Like, he thinks that guy is the best. Like, he loves that character. He's not 
laughing at that character. He thinks that character. I mean, he's if he if he's laughing, he's laughing with that character. And I think people don't see that as much. And that's one of the unfair. Now, again, I do think though you can make a point like, well, but he does a lot of that shit, and I don't like him doing it. Well, that's that's your choice. The same way that like someone might make a great movie about punk rock. And they, in my mind, don't know shit about shit. And yeah. the movie's great, but I'm like, eh. like yeah. you're just, if you're not comfortable with Tarantino telling that story, I don't. I'm not actually offended by that. But I do think we shouldn't assume motivation there. The same way that, like, you know, uh, I might have a critique of anybody. I might have a critique of fucking Ta-Nehisi Coates. Mm. Uh, it doesn't make him not great in a lot of ways, but I might not like how he writes about certain things or right. whatever like that. In the same way, like, if you have a critique of Tarantino, I get that. But I do think, I think even this movie is addressing race in a very real way. And I was amused. I thought it was a fun movie. I had a good time. Yeah, no, the first, I liked it. First liked act it. was brilliant. The second act really worked for me. I don't, I don't know. I liked it. Uh, we were talking about in the scale. I think, I think, like I said, Jackie Brown's my favorite. I think after Jackie Brown, um, I might have to put Pulp Fiction. Mm. I think I would go Jackie Brown, Pulp Fiction... Uh, oh, then it's hard because I want to say Inglorious Bastards, maybe. I think Inglorious Bastards, and then after Inglorious Bastards, I would put this movie. I think I like this movie more than Reservoir Dogs, in retrospect. Not when I first saw it. When I first saw Reservoir Dogs, that was like the greatest movie Loved ever. It. But in retrospect, I still like Reservoir Dogs, but I really like this movie. Um, I like Django, but I think it gets overrated. I really like it, but it's not. Again, Dude's never made a bad movie. I like Death Proof too. Like Death Proof is fine. You know, it's just. So again, Josh, you said you hated. Death I, I don't say I hate it. I said it's my least favorite okay. of Tarantino's. Okay. But then this is like right above that. So I mean, I mean, again, if he, as much as he's not my favorite director, if he can pull off this ten movie thing, where he stops after ten movies, and so the next two movies are pretty good, he's certainly one of the most successful directors. I mean, yeah. he set a goal. And, and he, he fucking it. nailed it. Now, yeah. granted, he's got two more movies. Maybe he'll take a shit these last two movies. <laughs> but if he stays at this level, then even if he's not the most important director to me, he's certainly one of the most successful directors. I will say I'm excited to see a horror movie directed by uh, Tarantino. I don't know if he so. can maintain tension, but I, I'd like to see him try. I'd like to see. I'd definitely like to see it an attempt. All right. Well, I, as usual, there's a lot more we could say, but we should probably wrap up. Is there anything, Hexter, coming up that you're excited about that you want people to know about? This is Nothing like- comes to mind straight away. No films, no music. It's slow in the music world right now, I feel. Sure, sure. But be sure to, to hit me up if there's anything that I should be excited about, both you and the listener base. Yeah, actually, let us know. We, we are here to promote your event, your film event. Um, I'm sure someone has sent us something and we haven't responded to it yet. I do want to be, do a big shout-out to Videogram. We, we did a post about them, but that dude is in Sweden. I think he's in Sweden. And he ordered a T-shirt <laughs> and paid for shipping all the way out to Sweden. Sweet. So cool for him. Crazy. And, uh, and he, he I think we're going to be using some of his music in some of our episodes eventually, but he basically does um, uh, horror movie-inspired music and it's, nice. it's fun it's digital you can check it out video i think it's videogram.com i think that's right i should probably look that up uh, and uh, look at the show notes it'll be in the show notes but he's a cool dude and then we got hit up about a movie uh we haven't watched it yet so i don't want to say anything um because if we hate it i don't want to like put on the air that we hate it but uh we're going to watch that soon but uh if you have a movie you want us to talk about i mean that's basically our thing we're gonna we're willing to talk about anyone's movie uh if it's a small indie thing We'd rather watch it 
and then tell you what we think, and then you can tell us if you want us to say it on air. Because yeah. if we hate it, I feel bad shitting on your indie film for everybody. They're like, man, I never heard of this film, but then Josh and Liam said it was a piece of shit, so now I'm like, so no, nah, I don't want to see it. it. I, I would rather talk about it if we loved it and be like, that movie was yeah. great, everybody see it. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Josh, do you have anything you wanted to hype up? I got tickets for Burn. Oh, yeah, Burn and American Nightmare is coming up. Which night? Second night. Second night, okay. I think the lineup is better the second night, but I'm not supposed to say that. Because you what? I think the lineup is better the second night. Yeah, but that's what a lot of people were saying. Uh, Red Death. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm hyped. I'm not trying to bust on the show. You know, I work with Joe, so I support both nights. But I'm a big Red Death and Freedom fan, so I'm stoked on both those bands. So. Yep, that's it. All right. Hey, thanks for listening. Uh, it's a longer episode. Thanks to Malcolm. Like thanks to Brian Hexter for being our guest. Thank yep. you guys for having me. Oh, thanks for coming on. And you should, uh, everyone, make sure you, you uh, hit up Brian Hexter on the internet to let him know he should be writing for Cinepunks. <laughs> <such> <laughs> I mean, he's so lazy with all his teaching and working nights <laughs> for grad R5 school, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so what a lazy piece of shit. No, uh, yeah, and we're always looking for writers, so hit us up if you want to write something for Cinepunks. All right, smoke bomb. Thanks Peace. for listening. <laughs>